Well, good morning. It is a good morning. Apparently, there was a memo that something cooler was happening today. <laughs> Jesus does go to church on the summer, too, so just, just let's all remember that. <laughs> uh, well, let's... Um, So, so last week, um, if you're following along with our, our reading plan, last week we finished uh, week four of our church reading plan, and so <coughs> last week we uh, all read together at some point, separately in our homes, John, First John chapters two and chapters three, and we also memorized Matthew twenty-eight verses nineteen through twenty. So, who has that memorized? Raise your hand. Oh. Oh. Oh, my goodness. What is happening? All right. <laughs> Memorization, right? Getting the word in our heart. What is the Psalm 111 or 110? It was 110. David says, you know, how, how can a young man keep his way pure and young women? But by hiding the word of God in our heart. And I encourage you to, to really take this seriously, this memorization of the word of God, because this is what the Holy Spirit needs to talk to you about your life. It is the word of God that he will use that is stored up in you to bring a truth, to bring joy, to bring correction, it is out of that reservoir of the Bible living inside of us that keeps us on God's path. Amen? Even if you didn't memorize it, you can still say amen. Because it's true. And that's why we have put this out there for us. And if you, if you want to follow along, we should have reading plans. I don't know if they're back there now. Maybe they're at the Welcome Center. But we've got reading plans that we're doing as a church and we are asking everyone do that. Why do you think this one was so important? This verse that we just did, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It is the great commission, right? It is the final command that Jesus gave us. This, this statement is his preferred method of us seeking and saving a world from eternal hell. And the moment you became born again, you signed up. You just didn't know it. The moment you said, yes, I want to go to heaven. I want Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. He said, great, here's your job. This is the work you have to do. All right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the very end of the age. Our discipleship involves going. Everyone say going. going. Our discipleship involves going, and we need to get going when it comes to making disciples. And when we get going, what should we be taking with us as we go? The gospel, right? We take the good news of Jesus Christ, and at the center of that good news message, is that Jesus is both God and man. He was both divine and he was both human equally at the same time. Now, the implication of that, the implication of that truth, it is staggering. If the human man named Jesus, who was from Nazareth, was God in the flesh, then everything he said must be true. Yes. And therefore, if everything he said is true, then everything he said must be obeyed. 
The good news that Jesus forgives sins is only good news if he truly has the power to forgive sins. The good news that Jesus took all of our punishment for our sins is only good news if he has the power and the authority to take that sin away from us. The good news that we are no longer enemies of God and have hope for eternal salvation is only good news if Jesus truly is who he said he was. The truth and the reality of Jesus is at the center of the gospel. It is the center of our salvation. Jesus has to be the God-man that he claimed to be or this whole thing falls apart. There is no discipling of our families, our friends, our cities, or nations if Jesus isn't the God-man. And if he is the God-man, then we must love him and we must obey him. Now, we've been reading 1 John, and 1 John talks about the issue of the reality of Jesus. In fact, the letter starts with a really strong appeal to the authenticity of Jesus. Let's read in 1 John chapter 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, I find it interesting that John starts his letter this way. Like, he doesn't bother with a formal greeting. He uh, doesn't start with a prayer. He doesn't start with an encouragement or how thankful he is for his readers. I mean, he doesn't even name himself. He simply starts making his point. And from this, from this kind of unusual beginning, it, it seems like John wants to address something like right from the very start. No time for small talk. Let's get down to business, right? John needs to reinforce something to his readers. Now, for a moment, I want you to think about the last time that you tried to convince someone of something that seemed unbelievable, but you knew was completely true. Maybe you were hiking and you spotted Bigfoot. <laughs> you know, maybe you were abducted by aliens. Maybe you saw a two-headed goat. Maybe you touched a power line and you lived to tell about it. So, <clears throat> who remembers the TV show Ripley's Believe It or Not? Yeah? So, the version that was popular in the 80s when I was a kid was this one with Jack Palance, right? And it was a TV show dedicated to exploring unbelievable people, places, and things. And I loved watching this show. Now, there was another favorite show of mine that was running, it was on air about the same time that this show, through the years that this show was, and it's this one. Who remembers that? That's incredible! Come on, 40 plus crowd, don't let me down. Right? So this was another show that took a look at more, uh, the more of the unusual side of nature and medicine and human endeavor you know, segments arranged from really uplifting, like, you know, young people maybe overcoming some kind of disability 
or uh, some segments would be devoted to the unexplainable, like a park ranger who had literally been hit by lightning seven different times uh, to some simply stupid stuff, like a guy on a motorcycle jumping over three helicopters with the blades running, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was, by the end of the season of this thing, it got bad. Like, there were some bad accidents. Like, they should, like this was probably the precursor to the Jack Booty <laughs> movies. You know, those guys that do all those dumb stunts and they hurt themselves. Like, towards the end of the season with That's Incredible, there was a guy who, who uh, was supposed to jump a car as it was coming at him, and he didn't make it. His foot got caught and ripped right off. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> is incredible. <laughs> and so it was literally this show that popularized the phrase, don't try this at home. <laughs> I actually learned how to catch an arrow from this show. <laughs> There was a guy who was like, you know, now kids, don't try this at home. I was like, I can't wait till tomorrow. I'm going to try this. <laughs> and the dude caught an arrow, and so me and my buddy were in the backyard. And <laughs> we tried it. I didn't get hurt. <laughs> but both these shows were devoted and dedicated to proving the unbelievable. And they were, pop, they were popular because we love to see the unbelievable. That's why shows even like uh, Dude Perfect exist. Now I'm trying to get my younger people. Who knows this one? <laughs> All right. Under 40, forget you. This is, <laughs> you know, this is a show that started out with a bunch of guys doing stunts and trick shots that seemed to be unbelievable, like impossible to make. And now it's a popular YouTube channel. Fact is, we love unbelievable stories. I even, <clears throat> I had a friend in high school, <clears throat> and he was not a popular guy. He's kind of backward, uh, didn't have a lot of friends, kind of a loner. Um, and maybe, maybe you know this about me. I, I actually, I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for people who are loners and outcasts, and they kind of don't fit in with the popular crowd. <clears throat> so I was his friend, and we were genuine friends. Like, uh, you know, I, I liked the guy. It wasn't like a pity pity thing, you know, like I felt bad. I, you know, I would hang out. But he had a problem. My friend was a habitual liar. Like he would constantly tell story after story about stuff that supposedly happened in his life. And I mean, the stories would range from, you know, he, had, he met Nikki Six, the bass player from Motley Crue at the Washington Square Mall in Indianapolis, you know, to, uh, you know, or, or maybe a, it was a, a guy walked up to him on the street and offered him $50,000 for his car right to buy it right there on the spot because he liked the sound system in it, <laughs> you know, and just crazy stories. That no one could verify. I'm like, dude, you could buy three more cars like the one you got for $50,000 and put brand new audio systems. Uh, oh, I get it. it, was, it was, that would be too much work, I see. <laughs> Just crazy stories. And I would hear him tell these stories, and I would play along. I'm like, whoa, what did Nikki Six say? <laughs> Why was he an Indy? That's crazy. That's incredible. <laughs> I rarely ever called him on it. I, I rarely ever called him on any of his stories. I just played along. I just, I let him kind of live in the fantasy of it. <clears throat> it was entertaining. But there was one story <clears throat> that he told that stood out above them all to me. And the story was that he was pen pals with the very famous female pop star, <laughs> Debbie Gibson. All right, back to my 40 crowd. Come on. Yeah? Anybody remember her? Yeah? She had hits like Only in My Dreams, Foolish Beat, you know, Lost in Your Eyes. Yeah, so my buddy was pen pals with her. And not just pen pals, but romantic <laughs> pen pals. So every month, 
he would tell me about the letters they were writing each other. And he would show me portraits that he would draw of her, you know. It's kind of like a Napoleon Dynamite kind of thing. <laughs> Actually, it was better than that, but he, he drew her portraits and, you know, would send them to her in letters. And they would, uh, he'd send them the portraits, she'd write back of her love, you know. It was, it was sweet. And, uh, <laughs> but this was just one story. I just couldn't let it go. I'm <laughs> just like, okay. I put up a lot of your stuff, but this, so I pressed him on it, and I was like, really? Really? Debbie Gibson wrote you, wrote you a letter? Yeah, I swear it, dude. Like, yeah. I'm like, let me read one of them. Now, of course, all of these letters were locked in a secure lockbox <laughs> with all his other treasures, and no one was allowed to see them, Right? You know, he'd say things like, I, I can't betray her trust and privacy. <laughs> if you knew what was written in those letters of ours, you'd understand why, wink, wink. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, what could he have done to make this unbelievable story believable? Well, he could have handed me the letters, Right? Like, I could have seen them with my eyes and seen the really flowery, girly cursive that's perfect, you know. I could have smelled the perfume that she squirted on it, you know. I mean, I could have held the letter in my hand and, and then seen them with my eyes and smelled the perfume, right? Or better yet, what if I, I could have, uh, maybe, maybe he had a picture of them together, Right? And I could have seen the picture and, and held it and saw the two of them laughing together. And, you know, maybe they were sharing a milkshake with two straws in it, you know. Or even better, what if I could have seen them together holding hands? You know, uh, sitting, maybe they were, cu watch them cuddle on the couch and, you know, kiss each other on the nose. I, or... What if I could have heard Debbie herself tell me that she finally found the man of her dreams all because he drew a picture of her? If I could have seen them, if I could have heard them, if I could have felt their love, I would have been a believer. Every time my buddy would tell that story to someone else that he was in a relationship with Debbie Gibson, I would be right there saying, yes, it's true. I know, I can't believe it. It's real. I saw them hold hands. She says, pookie boy, and he calls her lovey-dovey or whatever. I saw it. It's true. I know it seems like the greatest lie ever told that my buddy could be dating her, but it's true. I saw them. I heard them. I could feel their love for each other absolutely happening well that's what john's doing in this letter john is reminding his readers that the unbelievable jesus is as real and believable as it gets listen again to all the ways that he tries to make this point he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The reason I love Ripley's Believe It or Not, and the reason why Dude Perfect is popular, is because we get to see with our eyes our, the unbelievable things in the world. And eyewitness testimony proves to be the strongest proof for believing the unbelievable. 
Now, in our modern times, eyewitness testimony has become almost solely dependent on video recording. Everyone's got a phone with a camera, and almost every street corner of every city has some kind of uh, surveillance camera recording. We're, we're to the point in our society where if it didn't get captured on camera, it didn't happen or exist. Well, back in John's day, there were no cameras. There were no photos. There was no video evidence. They only had eyewitness testimony. And in John's day, eyewitness testimony was so important that it was the main judiciary tool used in court. The most effective way to prove something right or wrong, true or false, was only through eyewitness testimony. And John knows this. And he is using this judiciary tool to prove the truth of who Jesus is. Now, some could or would say, well, John's lying. He could tell a lie, right? I mean, there's no videotape, there's no photographs proving what he said. John could just be lying about Jesus. Well, that could be possible. But in the scripture, we have another level of proof. You know, remember, again, my friend who told me in the story about his relationship with Debbie. You know, it was near impossible for me to believe him because it was so outlandish. Like, this is crazy what you're telling me. It was so unbelievable. If he had only had proof. And if I could have seen the proof, if, if, if he could have showed it to me, and we could both be eyewitnesses of the truth, what if, I mean, what if he would have brought her to high school, <laughs> right? And walked the halls with his arm around her, you know, hey, what's going on? We could have seen him kissing at the lunchroom, you know? They got rode up and... Then Debbie had to write her autograph to the principal. It was, it was a thing. Then hundreds of people would have seen it. And then they too would all be believers, right? They would all know the truth of this relationship. Again, if I told you I was hiking and I saw Bigfoot, you'd hardly believe me. The first thing you'd say, did you video it? Did you get a picture? No, you might give me the benefit of the doubt, but if you're, you know, an honest person, you're not going to believe me. But if I did have a picture and I said, no, look, right here, or maybe I got a video, like, look, right there, he just walked across. Or what if I could have captured it, took it to a zoo? And then hundreds and thousands of people saw it. Guess what Bigfoot would be? Completely believable reality, right? Well, in this letter, John not only tells us that he has an eyewitness account of the truth, John tells us that a whole bunch of others have seen this truth too. Let's read it one more time. That which, wait, Uh-oh, I'm missing a slide. Anyway, we'll read it. Yeah, there it is. Okay. So listen, that which was from the beginning, which what? We have heard, which we have seen with our, our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In ancient times, there was no video, there was no camera, there were no photos to act as proof. And so big stories, outrageous statements, they had to have at least two or three witnesses. Deuteronomy 17, 6, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. A single witness shall not, shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only the, on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And Hebrews says anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. John is telling his readers that this testimony of Jesus, the word of life, is verifiable by multiple eyewitnesses. John and the other apostles, they were with Jesus in person. They watched him walk on water. They watched him change water into wine. They watched him heal the sick and raise the dead. Hundreds and even thousands experienced Jesus' miracle powers. I mean, we've got, there's at least 5,000 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus turn a sack lunch into a mass feeding outreach. We also know that even after Jesus' death, Hundreds of people had eyewitness testimony that Jesus raised from the dead. I mean, Paul tells it to us in 1 Corinthians. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. So back in John 1, John is saying that we saw Jesus. And we, the hundreds and thousands of people, saw this God-man do miraculous things. Do you know that there is even secular proof that Jesus existed? There was a Jewish historian named Josephus. And he lived at the same uh, period of time that Jesus did. And he wrote a large historical document called The Antiquity of the Jews. And in this history book, he talks about Jesus from a purely non-religious point of view. This is the excerpt. He says, now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again, the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these, 
and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Amen. So let's just count all the verifiable eyewitness accounts. We've got John. He's got his personal eyewitness account. We've got thousands of other eyewitnesses. And we've got a a secular historian, Josephus, from that same time period, verifying the facts about Jesus. Now, if all of that were not enough, let me share one more reason I think we can trust what John is telling us in 1 John. Some people today even would say they're all liars and it was a conspiracy. The 12 you know, disciples planned and put together this elaborate conspiracy to create this made-up story about the divine nature of Jesus. If that were true, and these guys just, you know, concocted a big lie, why did 11 of the 12 apostles die for this made-up story about Jesus? If Jesus was a myth, if it's just a fable, why would these men give their life for just make-believe? Listen. No one dies for a lie. If I told my buddy, who said, you know, who's dating Debbie Gibson, (laughs) if I pulled a gun out and I said, no, you didn't, (laughs) tell me the truth or it's over, guess how quick he would come clean? No one dies for a lie. Eleven of the twelve apostles lost their life because they would not deny nor stop talking about Jesus. Only John, who wrote this in the gospel, lived into old age. And they even tried to kill John. Like, it wasn't because they didn't try. You know, when John was in Ephesus, he was ordered by the emperor Domitian to be sent to Rome And he was condemned to death, and he was to be cast into a cauldron of boiling oil. Which is the worst kind of punishment. Like, this kind of punishment was reserved only for slaves who had committed heinous crimes. This is the maximum torture death penalty. And so, he went to Rome, sent to Rome fired up the pot, boiled the oil, stuck him in, and he did not die. It was a miracle. It was a spa day. (laughs) My skin's moisturized. It didn't kill him. He came out with no injury. And so it made Domitian so mad that he couldn't kill the guy that he finally just banished him to the island of Patmos. Like, I can't even kill this guy. Listen, there's not a person in this room or online who would die just to keep a lie going. And actually, we know from the Bible that some in the last days will actually deny Jesus just to save their lives. In other words, people will abandon just about any belief to save their own neck. It is only those with the strongest conviction that they know, that they know, that they know, you cannot tell me Jesus wasn't alive. I watched the man raise people from the dead. It is only those with the strongest conviction who would say yes to death 
and not compromise on something they know to be completely and powerfully true, like Jesus is the God-man. These eyewitnesses saw something, and they could not deny it. They saw Jesus. They heard Jesus. They touched Jesus. They studied him every day of their lives with him. And they knew that he was the Son of God, and they all but one lost their lives for it. What John is telling us in 1 John, it's true. It is 100% true, and we can trust it 100%. Now, why did John start his letter this way? When we read the rest of the letter of 1 John, we find out later that there is a problem in some of these churches that he was leading. There were some people who were walking away from their community and ultimately the faith. And we read this, he tells us about it in chapter 2, verses 18. It says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Here's where he lets us know the problem that was going on. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us, but you You've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. See, John had a problem happening in some of these churches that he was leading, and it had to do with this issue of the truth of who Jesus was. And again, let's read on in verse 21. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So John is leading some these churches in Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey. And by the time he's writing this, this letter, 1 John, there are probably been about two or three generations of Christians now. And so... A lot of the excitement is worn off. And at this point, false teachers have started to infiltrate some of the congregations. And one of the false teachings that went around was that Jesus was never really human. And that he just looked or appeared human to others. Which messes up the whole message of the gospel. If he's not man. Another big false teaching that was happening uh, at the time was that Jesus was only a wise, noble human from Nazareth. And there was this divine spirit called the Christ. And so when Jesus was baptized this divine entity, the Christ, entered him and it gave him the ability to work his miracles and be this supernatural person. But when he got crucified, just before he died, that Christ spirit left him and then he died. So these are some pretty big heresies that were infiltrating the churches. So when John writes here in verse 22, he says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? 
This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. John is talking about these false teachers right here. John, of course, has also told us that there is coming this one final Antichrist, but he also mentions that many Antichrists have already come. So, and by John's definition, anything or anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is an Antichrist. And these false teachers who were invading the churches, they were coming and they were invading the churches and John needed to put a stop to it. He wanted to put a stop to these bad ideas. Now, do we have any bad ideas floating around today? Are Christians being uh, led away from church and the truth of Jesus? Are there bored and deceived Christians looking for something else to fulfill them? Are there antichrist voices and groups pulling Christians away from the truth of Jesus? Are there liars in our culture presenting false teachings that all roads lead to heaven? Are there antichrist voices teaching that truth is something I create? based on my personal beliefs and my experience instead of objective realities. Where are these antichrists showing up? I say they're showing up in our music, in our movies, in our social media influencers, corporations and businesses, social justice movements, schools, government, media, and in churches. John hit his readers straight between the eyes in this very opening of his letter. And John, and he did this because he needed to call out these liars and these false teachers with the most powerful testimony he can offer them. He and thousands of others have seen and heard and touched and know the God-man Jesus Christ. You talk about something you don't know about. I have seen him. I have heard him. I felt him. I could smell him, and it wasn't always good. This is why we can trust the good news about Jesus. This is why, this is what we must teach and make our disciples with. John is reminding confused Christians that Jesus is truly the God-man. And he reminds us that it is a great honor and a great privilege to have fellowship with the Father and the Son and each other. So here's my question. Are we going to call out the false teachers and the antichrists in our culture? Will our children raise up and go make disciples? Or will they become disciples of an antichrist culture and system? If we don't disciple our kids, they will walk away when pressure comes. When someone puts an ideological gun to our kids' heads and demand that they reject the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the Bible or else we will kill your career and your reputation, will our children be like these eyewitness apostles and choose death? Or will they cower under the Antichrist spirit and walk away? Dads, moms, everyone, I am asking us today to take this eyewitness evidence that John is talking about and teach it to our children so they can be disciples who go and make disciples with this information. 
Listen, we can't wait. We can't be passive. We can't wait until it is convenient to disciple our family. The Antichrist spirit is already actively discipling our nation. What are we waiting for? You're waiting for them to take our building away from us? Are we waiting for all of your, your privileges in life to be taken away because you're some kind of phobe, some kind of something that doesn't fit the mainstream? What are we waiting for? Will we rise up and face and expose the Antichrist spirit in music and in movies and social media for the lie that it is? Or are we just going to wait until life makes it easy to go make disciples? I believe God's raising up an army here. I believe that we can overcome the Antichrist spirit through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And you know what? John's testimony is our testimony too. And everyone here has a testimony. I know Jesus. I know him. I felt him. I see him in the word of God. He's working with me and through me and around me. We have got to train and disciple our children to use the word of God and the word of the testimony to fight the Antichrist spirit that is coming. So this is our action plan this week. Everybody needs to stay on the reading plan and read 1 John 4 and 5 and do your hear journals. Meet with your discipleship group. This week we are memorizing 1 Timothy 4 verses 7 and 8. Please commit to that. Here's what I do. I put a reminder on my phone every day with the scripture written out. Every morning it goes off. Every single day it goes off. And I look at it and I read it. I try to memorize part of it. Miss it. Go back. This week's verse, there's two verses, but I broke it down into four different sections. The first section being, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I just started working on that. And then I added, and, and what helped me to remember, because it talks about baptizing and it talks about teaching. I'm like, how I sometimes I try to say teaching first before baptizing, but how did I remember that? Well, I go, well, Usually you get baptized before you start learning. You know, the Bible, they would get saved and get baptized immediately. And then they so oh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Uh, oh, what's that last? Oh, yeah, he's with me. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I need that part. And I just broke it down into these little bite-sized pieces. And every single day, I had to work at this. You can too. So let's memorize 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. And then I'm asking that everybody this week discuss with your family and your discipleship groups the eyewitness testimony that John talks about here in 1 John. And talk about why we need this, why this is important for our evangelism, because that is what going means. Go make disciples. Not just go to the coffee shop and meet with other Christians. That is a part of it, and we're doing that right now. But the big go is to go to nations. Go to people and places that don't know Jesus and teach them, tell them, there's an eyewitness account. Did you know? Jesus is verifiable by history. And he said crazy things, and all of it's true. So talk about this in your discipleship groups 
about why testimony is so important for going and making disciples. Will we do that? Will we do that? Will we do that? (laughs) Nervous laughs. Well, repeat after me. Say, I am raising up radical, passionate, aggressive, lovers of God and people. Repeat, pastor, from the next generation. All right, now let's say it again. I am raising up radical, passionate, aggressive, lovers of God and people from the next generation. Now listen, here's what I feel like the Lord showed me is that if we will say this and really put some faith and heart into it, it's like giving a black eye, like punching this Antichrist spirit in the face. So why don't we stand up? We're going to try one more time. It's with gusto. We're going to do this with gusto. I think that might be an 80s term. That's incredible. Are you ready? with gusto like we really mean this I am raising up radical passionate aggressive lovers of God and people from the next generation who will love deeply speak truthfully serve sacrificially live holy and go globally globally. in the supernatural power power and presence presence of the Holy Spirit Spirit calling all people people to confess Jesus Jesus as Lord and Savior. Savior. Amen. 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 Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, I bless us today. I thank you for the testimony that we can trust We thank you for John's letter that is telling us that we can trust that Jesus is fully God, fully man. We receive that today, God, and we're asking, Lord, for grace. Help us to do our readings this week. Help us to memorize our scripture this week. God, help us to to discuss and meet in our discipleship groups, God. Talk about the, the need of evangelism and going and making disciples. I'm asking for that today, God, and we thank you, Father, that you hear our prayer and that you are raising us all up, and we are in this process together. So we thank you, God, we love you, and we give you all the praise you deserve, and everybody says, Amen. amen. God bless you guys, and have a great day.